be seated. I'm going to invite Stacy to come and lead us in prayer. A couple of prayer requests. Uh, this week, I had an opportunity to meet with somebody that um, uh, is contemplating whether or not uh, physician-assisted suicide would be uh, right in their life. And uh, it was an intense conversation. I also received a uh, phone call, actually a text message from a friend uh, for another friend whose youngest brother committed suicide last week. Uh, there are so many requests, and it's so good to have people to pray for us and pray with us. And uh, won't you join Stacy as she just leads us this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glorious day where we can come together in worship of you and lift up these prayers to you, Lord Jesus. We pray for healing for those who are suffering from illness. We pray for those who are suffering with not knowing if this is the time to end their life or if they should continue to stay steadfast, Lord. And we just pray that they would look for you in their, in their worries, that they would look for you in their decisions, and Lord, that they would lift up all of their problems to you, Lord Jesus, that you would guide them, that you would guide their families, that you would guide their medical care providers, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you can bring a little bit of light to this dark world. And we just pray, Lord Jesus, that the light will overcome the darkness and that we will all be together one day with you in heaven. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Good morning. Um, we wanted to thank you for your faithful giving of tithes and offerings. Um, so this is a verse from 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God will generously provide all you need, then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Um, at this church, we have two different places that we can pay our tithes and offerings, so you can go to the church website, which is listed there, and click on the Be Generous tab, or you can mail checks to the chapel at the address also on the screen. Um, sometimes I've heard people ask the question, why do believers play, pay tithes and offerings? And when I was younger, I might have said something like, well, it says in the Bible to do that, which is true. It does say in the Bible to do that. But as I've gotten older, I've come to understand too that God is my provider. Um, he is Jehovah Jireh, and so paying my tithes and offering is a way that I can give a little bit back to him um, so that he can multiply it and use it to reach and love people for his kingdom. Thank you. Well, thank you, Jamie, and uh, for all those LAC members that took part this morning. Uh, Jamie is the newest LAC member, so I gave her kind of the hardest responsibility to talk about giving, and uh, thank you so much for, for doing that. Um, we are online. Some people are saying or suggesting that we stop the online presence. I think it is still good for those that can't make it on a Sunday morning or uh, they're away, and so there's different ways you can listen, you can watch, you can hear stories of people, and that's... Um, how we kind of have things rolling along 
right now. Um, as pastor, it's certainly a blessing to uh, be able to minister. It's also a, a great opportunity to share with you what God's done in my life, but to hear the different stories from uh, life group to one-on-one conversations to meeting with people in the hospital to hear what God has done, it just lifts us up. And so I encourage you, us, to get involved and hear other people because in life there's what I want, there's what God wants, and then there's what I want that God wants. A lot of times you're like, oh, of course what God wants is what I want, but that's not what you want. So stop lying and just figure out what do you want? What does God want? And what do I want that God wants? And hopefully more and more each day, you want what God wants. And as we look at this, uh, this quote, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. I also had an opportunity to go to a pastor's meeting and they're telling stories. And one of my good friends moved back from the Rochester area. Now he's pastoring over in Plattsburgh. And he was just sharing how he turned 50. But people in his congregation, he said, they tell him, it's like 50. I wish I was 50. Like, that's so young. And he's like, it's 50. And like, I feel like weird, but it's just kind of like, hard to process because I've never been 50 before and it's like I should be an adult but I don't act like an adult I should be respectable but it's just one of those weird things and as we talked he also shared that he doesn't have a dad that he can talk to um, in the sense that his dad has dementia and his dad um, has things so bad that his dad has always had a beard and he actually shaved his beard off And then he saw himself in the mirror and he called the police for some stranger in the house. And so my friend is like, I'm going through this life stuff at 50. Things like people think, well, you're 50, you're a pastor, you should know how to deal with this. And it's like, I don't. And that's why we need each other. That's why there's someone in our family, friend, that could use somebody to go and play cards. Now, not card cards but like skippo or uno or and so we're trying to figure out how can we go up like once a month or twice a month and just play a game a board game to engage this person and you're like there's so much need there is but do for one what you wish you could do for everyone and if you would like to reach out to some of these individuals i spoke of please see me or beth as we try to reach into lives in practical ways because god said well take care of the orphan and the widow, take care of the poor, take care of those that are in need. And if we don't as a church, then what good are we as the church? But we continue in Acts. This is Acts of, well, the Holy Spirit, even though it says Acts of the Apostles. And it talks about how Paul and Silas, they went to three people because they wanted to go to one place and God uh, told them not to. God said not to, which is so weird because when you're presenting the gospel, you think, yes, go. But God has a specific plan. He wanted them to go to a wealthy woman whose name was Lydia. They wanted to go to this exploited slave girl and then a correctional officer. We kind of think, I know in the story as a Philippian jailer. Well, what is a jailer? Sometimes you read the Bible and you know the story and you get locked in, but try to put it in your context. This was a correctional officer. One, uh, not documentary. What, what do you, what do pastors use to resource and research? Uh, commentary, commentary, not documentary. I watch too much TV. So uh, one commentary said he was a middle-class worker. 
This guy was a correction officer. He went to work. He put him in stocks. He chained him extra because he was told what to do. He didn't make the law. He just didn't want to lose his job. They went to the middle class. They went to a woman. They went to a slave girl. They went to this correctional officer for a purpose. Because Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, faithful to the teachings of Jesus that said, love God, my father, with everything you have and your neighbor as yourself. Love because you've been loved, because God sacrificed for you and you will know the truth and the truth will set you, the truth will set you Free. And this is so exciting. This is a message we get to share that you are free even as they were in prison. The truth will set you free. They would be in stocks. So these have the four, so your feet would go in two, and then your arms would go in two. Very uncomfortable, but I guess that's what prison is. This was for anybody. I thought this was hilarious. Nobody. Any basketball guys? This guy played for the Boston Celtics. His name is Paul Silas, who was in prison. Paul and Silas. No, anybody? Come on, we need more basketball. So Paul and Silas were in stocks. They were in prison when an earthquake happened. And then they were, well, they were in stocks because they followed Jesus to go northwest, not west, not north. They were in chains in prison because they obeyed God and didn't go and tell the gospel just over here, but they went to the gospel where God told them to go because they went northwest. They met this lady that sold purple garments. One research said that this dye that made things purple now is the most expensive dye you can buy. This dye is $1,000 now per ounce. This is what they think Lydia was a seller of, what she made, a seller of purple, purple clothes. This is a dye that they had. They also went, not just for Lydia, but for this slave girl, this slave girl that was possessed, that was being exploited. They went because God had a plan for this slave girl. It's not just those people over there or those people that really need it. It's God has a plan for you and your life to intersect with another's life that they might know freedom. So the earthquake happened. The jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas had impressed the jailer with their... Wait. Impressed the jailer with their cheerful faith when they were in stocks in prison, their composure in crisis, and their concern for... Whose well-being? Jesus? No. There's Luke's, the one writing? No. The jailers, the correction officer. They were concerned for his well-being, whatever the jailer's previous understanding of Paul's message. God touched his heart and cried out for divine help. This is from the Filament Bible app. It has a little study note. I encourage you to get it. So this is where I can get away with it because it's pastor appreciation. You might say, I don't care what day it is. You shouldn't talk about a rated R movie. Well, it's pastor appreciation to a little grace. In this movie, you had this soldier that has an interpreter, soldier interpreter. Long story short, the interpreter saves the soldier's life. Okay, so if you just want a nutshell, this is what took place. The Good Samaritan. So as I watch this movie over and over, 
this character, he says, there's a hook in me, one that cannot, one that you cannot see, but it is there. There's a hook in me. So if you've seen this movie, I'm not going to tell you to see it because I probably, anyway, people would say, you shouldn't say that. So I won't say that. But in this movie, the soldier gets beaten and shot and left for dead. This interpreter that is not an American, but he is from the country to help interpret for the American. He takes this person that is left for dead and he takes him in the movie. Yes, it's uh, Hollywoodized over a hundred kilometers, nursing his wounds, feeding him, helping him to the point that he's restored and the soldier gets to go home. If we could be the character's name, the interpreter's name is Ahmed in the movie. If we could be like Ahmed to the lost people, that we would serve them, we would care for them, that we would just give them to such a point of ourselves that this guy in real life, this interpreter could have left and hidden and gone to his own family. He had no obligation to stay and help this American soldier. We in our own lives, if we would just stop thinking about what we can get, what we can receive, how good we are, what we need to retire, what we can uh, just get gather around us. If we started to think, what can we give to others that the lost might know, then they might say, there's a hook in me. So being a pastor, you always bring in Christian language. What did Jesus call us to be? Fishers of a fish that is caught is typically caught by a hook. What if we lived in such a way that the law said, I don't know what it is, but there's a hook in me because of somebody's example, somebody's sacrifice, somebody's giving. Maybe this is what the jailer had in him because Paul and Silas did not run away. What if Christians lived as a good Samaritan? Perhaps those who served would be compelled by the hook of God's calling into salvation, freedom, and healing. What if we lived in such a way that we served not just ourselves, but others that they might know Jesus? And you're like, ah, rated R movie. This is bad. It's based on this book, Saving Aziz, Chad Robichaud is a Christian. He goes on to tell how he uh, went outside the U.S. government to rescue his interpreter before everything went to a mess. And this is awesome. I encourage you if you're like, ah, I want to read, but I don't want to read a Christian book because Christian books are boring. Well, this is a Christian who wrote a book that is amazing how God used his life to go and rescue somebody that was lost. So we look at Acts, but they replied, believe in the Lord and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. They were free to go. 
Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying from Psalm 78. For I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past stories. We have heard and known stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. This jailer was not just for him accepting God's forgiveness, Jesus' salvation, but he said, for my household too. From generation to generation, this is from Joel. This is actually not taking it out of context. This is saying something bad that happened, a consequence for sin, that they were to remind the next generation that don't do this because bad's going to happen. Tell your children about it in the years to come and let your children tell their children, pass the story down from generation to generation. We need to be telling our children. We need to be telling our friends. We need to be telling others from one generation to the next generation to the next generation of God's faithfulness, of Jesus' reality, that he loves us, he forgives us, and he is here for us. There is so much brokenness in the world. If they heard the stories of our grandparents, that I thought I was just going over like to be held and get like homemade bread. But my grandmother was praying for me. My grandparents cared about my spiritual health. They replied, believe in the Lord. Paul and Silas told this to him. They shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in the household. Well, when the kids, you know, when they get older, then they can get involved in church. The kids are the church now. Like I say this carefully. But if a kid has a good voice, can carry a tune, let him sing. If a kid can like hear God and pray to God, let him pray in public using a microphone. If a kid, if you're a new Christian, if you've only been here three months, if you feel like God wants you to be a part of what God's doing in the church of Living Hope Wesley in this community of believers, then we want you to get involved so that you can share. It wasn't, hey, I listened to this one guy. He was okay. But it's God used me. And because God used me, he can use you. And because you shared your story, then somebody might might say, well, you use them. Like maybe God can use me from generation to generation. We share about the goodness of God. Even at that hour of night, it was midnight when the earthquake happened. Even at that hour, middle of the night, the jailer did not say, hey, I'll uh, take care of you in the morning. He bandaged their wounds. He fed them and they were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. They rejoiced. I wish I did not. I wish I could say, because I didn't do the research. Maybe it does. Maybe you want to do the research for yourself, but I did not do the research. I wish, I hope, I, it would be really cool if this word rejoiced was the same as them singing while they were in chains in the jail. That cheerful place that they had, I think... It's very close to the same rejoicing now that they were saved and free. How can that be that you can be in jail giving the same amount of rejoicing and cheer and joy and praise to God that you give when he comes and he saves you? They all believed in God because freedom is not the same as escape. If you want a Jeffism, I probably stole this from somewhere, but I thought, hey, this is like tweetable. Like if you guys even use Twitter or whatever. But freedom is not the same as escape because Paul and Silas were free 
though they did not escape. They could have escaped. The earthquake happened. Their stocks fell off. They were free to go, but they chose not to escape because they felt like God had a plan for them. God, they could have escaped, but in their freedom as fishers of men, they remained in the jail for the sake of God's will to be used in reaching a family and used in reaching not just the jailer, but understanding how God worked. It's the jailer's family. It's the jailer's co-workers. It's those around that God wants us not just to be, hey, free, I can go wherever I want. I can do whatever I want because Jesus saved me. You can't escape reality that says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You can't escape the fact that there are evil things taking place in this world that we would like to escape from. We are free in Jesus to share the hope we have with others because God is so good. So the next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. So did the city officials who put them in jail order them to be beaten, told the jailer to put them in extra stocks? Did they go? No, they took the coward's way. It's like, hey, Brandon, can you go tell your mom that I'm sorry because I kind of backed into your porch this morning? I did not back into your porch. It's just an illustration. But that would be such a coward's way to get through. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said to you and Silas, uh, you're free to leave. Go in peace. But Paul replied, they have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison. We are Roman citizens, so now they want us to leave secretly. Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. This is, how many of you have read this story? You kind of know this story. You understand why it says, like Paul says, now I'm Roman citizens. Romans could not treat other Romans in this way. So these uh, Romans that treated Paul and Silas this way, they, it was racism. They thought, oh, they're Jews. Like, they're just lower than us. We can treat them however we want. Paul, well, timing. When the police officer reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. Paul waited until this time to clear his name and ensure that no disrepute, I don't know why they use big words, that they were mean to them what attached to the message of Jesus. When they were first arrested, when they were beaten, when they were put into prison, when they were uh, in jail, any of those times, Paul could have said, hey, I got something to show you. It's my passport, my birth certificate, whatever they use. Look at my enhanced driver's license. Hey, look, I'm a Roman citizen. You cannot do this to me. Because Christians, we have our rights. We can do this. Like, you know, perhaps God would have us sometimes close our mouths and wait until the appropriate time that Paul waited until this time so the message could go on because Paul said, what you did was wrong. Like, I'm a Roman. What you did was wrong. And why did he wait until this time? Because Paul was ready to use the privileges of citizenship to advance the cause of Christ in a hostile world. Well, I want my right so I don't have to endure a hostile world. I want what comes to me so I don't have to, you know, suffer and sacrifice and be put down. Paul used that right only so when he left, 
the Philippine jailer and his family would be seen as, oh, that came from another Roman. That wasn't some like half-baked kook, like just had something to say. This is actually something that we, the Romans, uh, give honor to. There's something about credibility and integrity that if we live with God's character, it might change the heart of those that have yet to find his character. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. Why did they beg them to leave the city? Because the officials that put them into prison could have also had that uh, done to them. The officials that had them beaten because they had mistreated other Romans, the city officials that made that decision, they could have had that done to them. Paul did not say, hey, I'm going to push the issue. I'm a Roman. You know the law. You did this to me. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It's going to come back to you. They begged them to leave. So that did not happen. And when Paul was done saying what he had to say, he left. One's best defense is their admission that you were righteous. Not that you're right, but that you live righteously. One's best defense as a Christian is their admission, well, they lived righteously. So we go back to Paul Silas. We go back to Paul and Silas. And when they left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers and... They met with the believers and... Then once more, then they left town. They did not go back and say, look what happened to us. Look how amazing we are. Look at my scars. Feel bad for me. They went and encouraged the believers with the truth of Jesus, that he loves us, he created us, and because we listened to his voice, it went northwest. Lydia, you, those that we're sitting around the table with, those in your house, this is why we came northwest, because we listened to God, because God used us to be in a life that set this exploited slave girl, set her free. And now there's a jailer, there's this correction officer, there's this middle-class person that just maybe wondered about the story of Jesus, but he needed a job. Maybe he uh, thought about, hey, it'd be nice if there's a Messiah, but I need to obey my boss. There's this thought, like, maybe I should do something different, but ah, I just want to keep my job. It's now, I don't care about my job. My life is sold out for Jesus wherever I go from my generation to the next generation, him and his household. Don't you think his children's children's children Children were sharing of that story of one time that earthquake happened and my grandfather, great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather, whatever it is, hey, they shared this story and because of their life sold out to Jesus, their credibility and integrity, there was something different. And I can't go back, if I may, because there's a hook in me, drawing me, pulling me, compelling me to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Music team, won't you come up? Jesus, we thank you because you are so good. We give you praise because we can worship you in spirit and in truth. And we thank you that in our weakness, you still make a way. And in our freedom, we can still remain hidden with you and God. So Jesus, here we are. We need you, but Father, so many of our friends and family members, those we see 
faces of or hear their name or we watched play soccer or went to their recital. They need you too. So Jesus, may we live in such a way that your hook would draw them to receive your salvation, your freedom, and your healing. We love you. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.